Welcome back, Tigers fans. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day, and we've got a little bit of a special edition going for you tonight. We're going to talk prospects, and we've got a special guest in to do that with. Um, we've got Jay Markle, who is our lead prospect analyst at Bless You Boys. Jay, how's it going tonight? Hey, hey, I love podcasting. Always good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Yep, it's been a, been a little bit, but yeah, we did that epic series. When was that? Like, end of the season where it was like almost three hours of content, which was exhaustive <laughs> and exhausting a that, little bit. That was a, that was a fun night, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a good time. We're going to try to be a little bit more efficient maybe tonight and um, and not necessarily just go through um, player after player down our list or anything like that. We're going to kind of branch out and talk about um, Frangraph's list and some of the data that came out with that. Um, we'll get into a little bit of who we're high and who we're lower on than, than maybe others on the staff or um, some of the other national lists. We'll talk about that and about who needs to have a good year this year. Um, and we'll also kind of try to get into later on um, a little bit of like how the Tigers um, kind of go forward from here. Um, I think, you know, you'd probably agree the farm system is is good. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. not, it's not you know, not top three. Um, still lacking some positional talent, obviously. But we are kind of at that point where the decisions start to get harder. It's not like you can just hang on to everybody you want. Um, the Tigers are going to start running into that real quick this year. Um, we already see some log jams at certain positions, and maybe injury will uh, make some of those decisions for them. But yeah, we'll try to talk about that a little bit. So let's just start off with um, with the Fangraphs list, because um, for most of us, that's our that's our favorite list of the year. Um, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel get a lot of um, data and a lot of insight from teams. Um, among all the they evaluators. really do a heck of a job. Yeah, they really do, and and just the presentation with their board and everything um, is is really first class. Nobody, um, I don't think, can really touch them. And compared to a lot of the other, and this includes us, um, prospect analyzing that goes on out there. Um, they're two people who've actually um, worked in the industry as pro scouts um, and as I think even maybe assistant scouting director for Kylie McDaniel with the Braves. So they bring a little bit of extra cred um, on that front. So taking a look at their um, their top. 30, oh, they've got 39. It was 38 yesterday. I guess we know who they added. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I guess I know who uh, uh, suggested that, too. Yeah, yeah. They had they started out with um, the top 38 Detroit Tigers prospects, which was notable um, on its own because they don't do a set number. They do the guys that they think are worth talking about, the guys who are um, at least 35-plus future value um, players. And so they don't necessarily do top 30, top 40, or any of that. And the Tigers have never had um, 38 or as it turns out now, 39 prospects um, on the Fangraphs lifts. And yes, the missing prospect um, we were all kind of wondering about was Ronnie Garcia, who the Tigers picked up from the Yankees in the Rule 5 draft. Um, pretty interesting young pitching prospect that, um, that I'm sure we'll get to see a bunch of in camp, and um, presumably the Tigers will give a try early in the season, but he wasn't on there initially. So um, Chris Brown over at um, Tigers Minor League Report was kind of wondering what was up, and today they, uh, they added him in there, so now we have 39 to go on. Um, yeah, what uh, what stood out to you on their list? Uh, well, a couple things. Um, first of all, they had Alex Lang and Zach Hess way higher than anyone else, which is kind of surprising to me because um, normally relievers are put pretty low because they have a hard ceiling cap. Yeah. Uh, but and, and now that Alex Lang and Zach Hess are officially relievers, you know, they... Normally, you wouldn't see it at uh, 13 and 16. I mean, 15. Yeah. Other than that, they they sometimes... I Now, this sounds like a critique, uh, and it's not just an observation. They sometimes 
get reactionary to uh, underperforming pitchers. For example, last year they dinged Fido really hard yeah. for his underperformance. This year they did that with Kyle Funkhauser, and understandably so. Uh, we really don't know what he's going to be going for at starter, reliever, if he's even going to be on the field because he's had that long string of weird unrelated injuries and yeah. then was just genuinely bad last year in AAA. But he's all the way down at 28. Um, and I was mildly surprised to see that there, as well as Jake Rogers at 19. Um, he, again, that's kind of like a reactionary pick, it seems like. Now, obviously, I don't know the rationale because uh, I haven't asked him about it. But he performed pretty badly in the MLB. Um, even the front office admitted, yeah, he wasn't ready. We shouldn't have called him up. But to me, that MLB sample doesn't really move the needle on him quite a lot uh, because he clearly wasn't ready, meaning his development isn't done. He's 24. Uh, he's going to be 25 for most of the season. So he's coming up to that point where he's you know, got to be ready soon, but he clearly wasn't ready and the tools are all still there that were there, there before. So yeah, not quite sure why they pushed him that far down. Yeah. And you also look at the fact that, I mean, yeah, they had him quite a bit higher last year. I can't remember exactly where, but maybe, maybe it was even top 10. Um, and he performed pretty well at Toledo uh, overall. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. he, he kind of has a tendency, um, and this this happened at Erie as well, um, where he kind of hits the ground running and looks great at first and then really goes into a long funk. Um, and sometimes, you know, at Erie, it took him basically two months to um, to dig himself out of that. And then he just raked all the way th um, through the end of 2018. And 2019 was kind of similar. Um, came out hitting at Erie, um, went to Toledo, did really well the first couple weeks, and then again, like went into a long uh, funk for about a month and change, and then started to turn it around. And yeah, I'm not sure we saw that much um, in the major leagues to to really change how anyone feels about Jake Rogers. Like we all know, you know, doesn't have a particularly good hit tool, um, doesn't have a lot of um, feel for contact. He's kind of a guy who has a groove swing who. If you leave him, you know, a fastball, you know, center cut at the top of the zone, he can do a lot of damage, um, and he's got some plate discipline as well. But he had all those um, those attributes, and I didn't really see much of that change, other than the fact that his his defense um, really seemed to struggle, and that may have just been a function of him pressing real hard with the bat. So, um, with right, and those were all things that were there last year. So if you look at all those things and add them up and say, yeah, that's nineteen in this system, fine. But he would have been there last year too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they didn't say this, but I kind of, I had in the back of my mind wondering whether or not they're starting to kind of prep for, you know, the, the onset of the robot ump, which um, seems um, at least mm. relatively imminent, um, probably sometime in the next, you know, couple of years, certainly. And I, and, you know, I guess that does have to take um, a bit of a whack at his long-term impact because obviously his receiving skills were, were really the carrying tool um, in his arm um, all the way through the minor leagues. And maybe, yeah, maybe they're starting to wait that just a little bit. But it really, um, yeah, I don't know. Compared to what I've seen them doing with other good defensive catchers, I haven't really seen anyone else take that kind of a hit. So, yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. Um, yeah, you know, and Lang, I mean, Hess, you, you were on and, and pressed us all on um, a lot harder, you know, than we were um, on board, most of the rest of the staff. And um, I think you've been proven fairly well right on that one so far. And Fangraph's um, guys certainly agreed. But it is interesting to see Alex Lang that high, um, especially when you consider that, you know, Bo Burrows, Kyle Funkhauser, these guys haven't really, you know, they, they haven't been converted to relief yet, even though we all suspect that they will. 
Um, and if you if you look at their profiles as a reliever instead of thinking of them as a you know a failing or struggling starter, I don't know. I mean, they seem to stack up you know pretty well um, to Lang and Hess in my in my estimation. So I am surprised to see them both um, that much lower than Alex Lang and Zach Hess. Alex Lang, I'm probably just wrong on, but I just kind of don't really see it. Like there's, you know, there's some funk there. Um, he's got, you know, a modicum of command. He's got an interesting changeup. You know, there, there's some things to work with there, but I'm, I'm just not that in love with him as a, as a reliever personally. Um, well, the book with him was, is if the stuff comes back, he's going to strike dudes out because he took that velocity hit uh, as soon as he went and then the, the curveball thing. So, so the Tigers pick as far as his value goes. And then he immediately bounced back um, because I guess the Tigers are good with pitchers now, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's hope. They're definitely better um, with the pitchers case, than the hitters. <laughs> I think we can stipulate that much. <laughs> but in any case, if you look at what uh, Fangraphs is calling Alex Lang's tools now, they're calling it an average fastball, which is definitely up from where it was last year, two good breaking balls and a good changeup. Yeah. Yeah. That's better than what we see in Bo Burrows, who last year was basically just average across the board, and that doesn't that doesn't play. Yeah, and I mean Lang has some deception that that can make that work, but it is interesting to see when you consider that Bo Burrows throws harder. Um not a ton harder, but you'd have to suspect that in relief Bo Burrows if healthy, should be able to sit 96, 97 um, with a really high spin rate, fastball and curveball. Um, everything still needs work, but um, again, they kind of dinged Alex Fajardo pretty hard for a rough year last year, and it feels like Bo Burrell's got smacked around a little bit, maybe too much this year. Um, he's still going to get a chance to start. Um, he, he had a bunch of injuries early in the season that by the time he really started to recover from them and get healthy and look more like himself, I thought, in you know, late June and July, and then, you know, got hurt, blew out an oblique in, I think, early August, or not not too far into August, and that was the end of his season. So um, you're going to take a hit, but I'm not so sure that that isn't just sort of a flip of the coin. Like, if he comes back and he's healthy, um, probably everything he did this year, you know, can, can just be disregarded. Um, and maybe we'll see that if, if that goes down, where they come back next year and are like, okay, you know, it's all, <laughs> the stuff has come back. Um, he's been healthy. Um, he's not as wild. He's, he started to kind of, you know, get back to at least what we would expect from Bo Burrows in terms of control, um, which isn't necessarily great, but but better than we saw this year. But um, yeah, we'll just have to kind of see how that plays out. Um, and I agree with what you're saying. I do. I'm just trying to look at it from their perspective. What might they have seen? Because my personal list, when we graded the prospects uh, for the site, my personal list did have Bo above Lang, and like you said, they're going to give him a shot to start, especially since they're going to probably leave Mize and Fayetto, I mean, not Fayetto, but um, Scooble in Erie to start the season. Uh, yeah, there's there's still things to like about Bo, and don't please don't misunderstand and think that I like Lang better than Bo. This is pretty surprising to me also. Yeah, yeah, and of course Bo um, is also still... You know, he's been around so long, and I'm actually writing his prospect profile right now. And and the thing about Bo, Bo Burrows is that he just hasn't improved that much. Like, he's not that much different than, you know, a fairly exciting raw prospect we saw in 2015 when they signed him. Um, you know, when, when you take a high school 
high school pitcher who throws hard. Um, and, you know, he's got the Texas pedigree and all this. And, you know, we were all excited, um, even though the frame wasn't necessarily that projectable as a, as a future starting pitcher. But he just hasn't grown that much. And so, yeah, I can, I, you know, I can kind of see it from either perspective. Um, but he is still young enough where I think, yeah, the Tigers are going to give him another year. And, I mean, apart from just getting healthy, what would you say Bo Burrows needs to do to, uh, to, to stick as a starter next year? Because I, w- I think we would both agree that that's, next year is probably his last shot to, um, to really make a case for himself in that role. He needs to tighten one of his breaking balls. It can be the slide or the curve. I don't really think it matters which. He just needs to tighten one of them. Yep. Yep, I agree. I mean, we'd all like to see the changeup um, improve, but at this point, I'm not so sure that there's going to be that much development there. But yeah, one way or the other, either the slider or the curveball has to take a little bit of a hop. Um, So I, I would totally agree with that. I guess the place where they were maybe the furthest distance, you know, from where we would ha- we would have had this player was Wenzel Perez. Um, at least as far as position players go, um, they they've been on Wenzel Perez um, since the very beginning. Uh, I, you know, I certainly think there are things to like, but they ranked him eighth, um, gave him a forty-five grade, twenty years old, 5'11", 195, switch hitter, um, decent plate discipline, doesn't strike out. Um, shows really no signs of any power and still doesn't really have the defensive chops to play in the middle infield um, at the major league level. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, mostly, except for the plate discipline part. I really don't think he has much of that either. Yeah, just just um, can get the I, bat on I, the ball? Yeah, right. But then again, I've kind of been the parade rainer when it comes to uh, Wenzel since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to say, like, I haven't seen it myself either. Uh, like, he I've looks... seen him in all of 19. Yep, go for it. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry, I thought you were talking. No, you're uh, I, I saw, saw him, him all throughout 19, and I saw him at the um, end of 18 when he got his first stint in the Whitecaps. And really, I don't like the swing, and I don't like the defense. He's stiff in the field. Like you said, no power. Um, I think he takes cuts that he really shouldn't. That can be trained in some guys, but you you really don't want to count on it that they're going to mature a ton at the plate when it comes to their discipline and mentality. I don't know. I I've kind of projected him as a utility at best, utility guy at best, and so that's like a, a mid twenties ranking in this system. Still, he's the top thirty guy, but eight is very aggressive. Everything has to break right for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly aggressive. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he just, he looks like a future utility man. Um, I mean, if you compare him to Sergio Alcantara, who is, you know, draws basically or has at least throughout his minor league career drawn similar overall grades, <coughs> excuse me, but you know, was the guy who was an advanced, you know, defensive shortstop. They knew he could play the position. Um, you know, Wenzel Perez is more the type who you think might have a better chance to hit. And, and hit for enough power just because just because he's built a little better. Um, you know, Sergio Alcantara has just never really put on much muscle. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it feels like either one of those guys could be a future um, utility man, but that, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the height of it. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still kind of – I'm skeptical of that one, but, um, but we'll just have to see how it, how it plays out next year. But you'd think – um, if Wenzel Perez is the eighth best prospect in the system, that you would see um, many more signs of it next season. Right. right. I agree. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, they were a little higher than us as well on Jack Kenley and Ryan Kreidler. Um, it almost felt like we, like certain people on staff kind of like had an inkling of for either one of them and, and kind of liked them both a little bit, but they almost canceled each other out. Um, did, did either one of those guys impress you very much? I saw Kenley um, a decent amount. Um, I saw him a little bit at Connecticut and a couple of Whitecaps games. Like, you know, there's there's a little bit there, but again, he didn't he didn't strike me as a guy I was going to have any expectations for. Um, Kenley didn't jump out at me and he wasn't the focus when I was there. Uh, when I was there, I was really focusing my attention on Quintana and Lipschitz and Wenzel. Um, and so I really don't mentally have room for a fourth player. That's just kind of where I'm at right now when it comes to watching guys live. Um, but he didn't like demand my attention. And as far as Kreidler goes, uh, I imagine I'll probably be seeing him next year in West Michigan. So that remains to be seen, but the scouting reports really aren't that impressive. Yeah, it just kind of feels like a, well, I mean, we'll just have to see. Again, like you've made this point, and I, and I tried to make this point too, that um, what, what a guy does in his first you know stint out of pro ball after a college season, after going through the draft, after going to camp and getting getting oriented and then being sent on your first assignment, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, I think we both feel that way about Nick Quintana. Obviously, his first go-around... Um, was was really kind of an unmitigated mess um, that didn't really yeah. showcase anything um, that we saw in college or or expected based on most of the scouting reports. So some of those guys, we'll, we'll just have to see uh, see how things play out. I, I'm going to retain some hope for, for Quintana because it just cannot be that bad. Uh, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can't fool everyone for so long and then immediately be horrible in pro ball. Yeah, yeah. Especially when maybe, you're... Maybe he'll bust. But not like just that fast. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, yeah. I expect him to turn it around, do do fine next year, make his way to Lakeland, um, and then eventually, you know, a year or two from now, we'll we'll know for sure where we stand there when he when he tries to make the jump to, to double A. But mm-hmm. it, yeah, um, you know, a couple other notes that I thought were interesting. It was really hard for us to to rank and to grade Jose De La Cruz, um, who is. Well, he just turned 18 years old, um, played in the DSL this summer, um, led the league, or at least was tied um, in the league for home runs. And we, we heard a lot about his power potential. Um, it sounded like it showed up. And so we just we chipped him in there at 30 just because we felt certain that he deserved a mention. Um, but yeah, Fangraphs has him 16th, um, and, there were, and they had a lot more detail on him, which I thought was, um, was pretty impressive. Um, Baseball America did a few, um, had some, some nice notes on him as well. Uh, what what did you take away from any of that, other than the fact that yes, the the raw power does seem to be um, present and accounted for? That I mean, the note they have here isn't much. Um, it says his TrackMan data is very strong, especially for his age. That's a direct quote from their little scouting report, and they have a, a n- average raw power already, which is extremely impressive for an eighteen year old. Most of the time, their raw grades, even if they project to be plus due to bat speed, quickness, whatever uh, tools you might see in the guy, usually they top out around 30, 35 present raw power grade. But he's at 50 already, which is really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's not uh, it's not a whole lot of detail, and we'll have to see how the hit tool um, starts to play next year when he comes over to the States. Uh, but yeah, but just knowing that they've got the exit velocity on him, um, all that data... And that it was impressive it is a nice, nice little note because you never quite know what you're dealing with in um, in the DSL. At least, at least I don't. You know, it, it's really hard to know how to 
translate those numbers. Um, all these guys are really young. The level of competition is um, fairly poor and, and widely varying. Um, so it's always hard to know what to say. But when you have some actual data, um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really loving Fangraph's coverage is because they're, they're getting that TrackMan data, um, which, which just adds a little bit more um, certainty or, or you know, at least a little bit more objectivity um, to, to any prospect profile. Right. I agree. Yeah. Um, and they've got a Denso Reyes in there at 21. Um, that's, that's more or less where we had him. Um, they had my boy Kyder Montero on their list, which, uh, which, which made my day because he was like a bit of a mirage. Um, you know, I caught him a couple times in Connecticut, um, in early August and, and mid August and liked the breaking ball, um, liked his delivery, liked the fastball. He was locating it to both sides. Um, had a couple of really, really impressive starts. Um, uh, but no one else seemed to know about him. Um, it's pretty rare that um, I get to say first. <laughs> In fact, this might be the <laughs> the first and only time this ever happens that uh, that I was the first one making a fuss about him. Uh, but yeah, they've got some interesting data on him as well, and they liked him enough to um, to put him twenty seventh on their list. Um, he's still, you know, he's he's a slightish framed guy. Um, he, he's another one that you could kind of put maybe roughly in the Wilco Hernandez Elvin Rodriguez bucket where. The frame has has some projection left on it, but but at some point, like the stuff is going to have to take a jump, and you don't really know that he's going to be the type of guy who can hold up and be a starter. Um, Wilkel is actually quite a bit bigger at this point, um, so yeah. But anyway, that was that was nice to see, and I thought the the one note that really stood out to me there was that his curveball does have a three thousand RPM spin rate already um, at nineteen years old, which is um, yeah. super, super elite territory. Um, doesn't guarantee anything. Um, as anyone who watched, uh, oh geez, who was the guy we got from the, the <laughs> from the Mariners this year? No, the reliever. Reed that we, Garrett from the Rangers. No, no, no. The the other. Oh, David McKay. Sorry, David McKay oh, is another yeah, one. David McKay. Super high spin um, spin rate curveball. Uh, obviously, you got to be able to use it, but still, um, pretty nice, pretty nice raw tools there to work with. And I would assume we will be seeing him at West Michigan as well. Well, we certainly will. So there's another one that yeah, um, should be I, interesting. Yeah, I really hope so. And as long as we're talking about uh, Fangraphs provided uh, TrackMan data, I just looked up Jose De La Cruz exit velocities. His max exit velocity is they recorded at 109. Oh wow, really? Dang. Yep. yep. And his average exit velocity, care to take a guess as average? 92. Oh, 90. 90 still good. That's above average <laughs> for a major league. Very good. It's above average. Um, now they, they don't have all of the farms in yet, Yeah. but of the prospects they do have in that one Oh nine max exit velocity, third highest. Wow. Yeah. Of yeah. anyone they have in right now. Yeah. That's pretty close to uh, Giancarlo territory. Um, there yep. aren't a lot of guys who go over one ten. It's basically judge and Stanton and, you know, maybe the occasional shot from, uh, from someone else. But yeah, that's, that's definitely super encouraging. Um, and it's also sushi raw, so we can't get too excited. Yeah, but it's sure. a very pleasant note. Yeah, it's been a long time since someone came through um, the international pipeline and and really created any kind of a buzz. Um, so you know, it's nice to at least see that that some of the money they've spent there. Adinso Reyes had a really good season. Um, by the sound of it, has the more advanced hit tool. Although, you know, we'll just have to see how the body turns out um, and, and what he can do. But um, seems to spray the ball around the field a little bit more with a line drive approach based on the little bit I've read um, at Fangraphs and Baseball America. So 
those two guys will be, I would, I would say, will be the the, the two key guys that we're looking for um, coming into the GCL next year. With maybe, I don't know, there might be one well, or two more. Well, I also more. think we can't forget about um, Alvaro Gonzalez, who I think kind of dropped off the radar after he didn't do a ton this year. Yeah. And now everyone's all excited about De La Cruz and Reyes, of course. But um, he's he's one that I think we have undeservedly forgotten about. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think we were waiting on him, and and, and it's just the way it is because we, we don't get eyes on these guys and unless something big happens. Um, they tend to fall by the wayside until they hit, you know, at least Connecticut, if not um, West Michigan. So, right. yeah, yeah, for sure. He's another one who they spent a lot of money on um, in the, the beginnings of the rebuild push. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what we've got there next year. Yeah, um, I wanted to point out a couple of, uh, we, you know, you mentioned this earlier, um, the question of whether or not the Tigers were really getting, you know, better at um, at pitch design, at helping pitchers improve their, their just their raw stuff, let alone everything else they've got to improve. Um, and the Tigers have always been, you know, a team that, that seemed to do reasonably well with pitchers, um, but that's certainly been where they the rebuild has been focused. And hiring Dan Hubbs, um, who was was it USC's head coach um, and a, and a driveline affiliated guy um, to kind of set up their pitch lab. Um, obviously they finally got the, the high speed cameras. They got their rap soda units, all the, all that stuff hit um, last, last off season. And so they've got all the equipment now, finally, after we've been begging them for years. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we know that at least, you know, some guys like Casey Mize already has like a lot of fluency um, in, in working in that environment um, it sounded like he passed on some of that, some of that knowledge to Manning, um, Fiedo. Um, those guys seem to to be fairly tight and work together. But I did see a couple of notes um, among the spin rate data that they had for the Tigers pitchers that was somewhat encouraging on that front um, as well. In that Casey Mize's breaking ball last summer, um, the the slider, I assume, I, I assume this isn't the cutter, um, checked in at an average of 2,300 RPMs and. Um, Later in the season, I guess when they the second time they got data on him, they bumped him up to 2,500. Um, so that was good. Um, Alex Fiedo went from 2,200 with his fastball and 2,500 um, with the slider to 2,350 with the fastball and 2,700 with the slider. Um, so that's a nice little jump. And, um, yes, sir. And Alex Fiedo made, um, made some delivery um, changes, some changes to his mechanics that I'll end up writing about when I do his profile, but, um, but the, the gist <laughs> of it was to get him pulling down on the ball and throwing downhill a little bit more, um, standing up straight with better posture, um, into his, his windup. And maybe that had a little bit, um, something to do with it, but those tools can, can really hone that little bit of extra juice out of pitch, um, to improve the spin efficiency as well as the rate. So yeah, I mean, you would expect if the Tigers have any clue what they're doing. And I assume that in the pitching front that they do, um, that we're going to start seeing, you know, some minor improvements um, along along those lines. And if Fido can get back his breaking ball he had in college, I'm not sure I can stop myself from just absolutely falling in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I that, still thought the breaking the ball was nastiest still... slider I've seen on video. I think ever. Well, he even re- in, like re- yeah, like re- the the slider he was throwing in the college world series. Yeah. That's some real pitching ninja stuff. 
Yeah, he was really dialed in. Um, th- those couple starts there were were really impressive. Although I, you know, I watched a lot of them this year, and you know, the slider still looks really good to me. And it actually looks like he's got a little bit more um, ability to shape it and add and subtract tilt on it a little bit more too. So uh, maybe it wasn't quite as wipeout um, at times as it was um, in, in college or when we first laid eyes on him. But I still think, you know, that, that slider is an absolute weapon. I don't think we need to concern ourselves too much like that about that. And it's always kind of given him that fallback as, you know, as a solid, um, at least, relief profile if he can't find the changeup, if the fastball didn't play as well as was hoped um, for, for a variety of reasons. So, yeah, it's nice to see, you know, just I don't know how much that means. Uh, I don't know how much it means that you added 100 200 RPMs to your to your breaking ball. Um, it should mean something, but we'll just have to see if the Tigers can can get you know some concrete results on the field out of some of this. Who else had a good curveball? That surprised me a little bit. Oh no, I'm thinking of Elvin. And Elvin's always had a had a, a good looking curveball when he's when he's throwing it well. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else uh, pop out in Fangraphs? Did it did it mean anything to you at all that they um, finally bumped Matt Manning up to number one over Casey Mize? Uh It means that I was very wrong when they drafted him. Which one, Manning? But Manning, yes. Oh yeah, yes, you were. Uh, but I've it, <laughs> I, I, I've admitted that on many occasions. Yep, yep. Um, and I still think. I mean. I guess maybe even before we even dive in a little further, it's always it's always good to rem- to remind everyone and to remind ourselves that um, you know the, the the grading by number doesn't matter. It's much better to think of prospects in terms of tiers. Uh, it's a fun exercise to argue it out with everybody and put them all in in an order, one way or the other. Um, but again, yeah, prospects are best grouped in in, in buckets based on their tools and um, and then seasoned based on whatever you think about their makeup, their body work ethic, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it doesn't matter that Matt Manning is now number one over Casey Mize. It really just kind of comes back to Casey Mize, you know, impressed quite a bit, but was banged up in his first year. And um, and that's just going to raise those those injury concerns until he can, you know, put up 150-inning season at least and, um, and kind of put that to rest. All right, well, we kind of got into this a little bit, um, but in terms of like who you are higher and who are you are lower on, do you have anybody else that you kind of you kind of feel is being underrated or overrated that you would like to mention? Um, sure, sure. Sam McMillan, I I like him. Uh, I don't like him right now uh, because the hit tool is kind of rough, but I think if he makes only a few adjustments that people are going to go, why the heck was I not paying attention to Sam McMillan? Um, especially since he's, I think going to be able to stick behind the plate um, for a few reasons. First was because uh, I got just horrible reports on him and his defense last year. And when I laid eyes on him this year, he looked fine. So that might be difference of opinion, but that also might be improvement. And the other reason is, like you mentioned earlier, that automated strike zone is going to make it a lot less important that catchers have excellent defense. Um, and he, he, his discipline at the plate is just amazing. Uh, he has a v- fantastic eye for the strike zone. Um, so... If he can, if he can start barreling the ball just a little bit more, people are going to go, 
uh, and pay more attention to him. So buy early on that one. The other one that I think is being underrated a little bit is Nick Quintana. And that's just because it hurts so much to watch your second overall, I mean, not second overall, but your second round draft pick go out and be so terrible. Um, on my write-up of him that went onto the site the other day, uh, I put in a vid- the video that I took and someone in the comments said, well, it'd be nice to get a video of him uh, actually hitting a ball. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, that's going to be a yeah, highlight, highlight reel. Yeah. Because he was just so, so bad. Um, but like you mentioned earlier, the immediate sample doesn't really tell us anything. So if he is who he was in college, which we imagine he is, he'll be fine. And he'll look just like we imagined he would when we drafted him next year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely one that we just kind of need to hang in there a little bit and see how it goes. Um, as for myself, like I, I actually kind of tend to agree with Fangraphs actually about Elvin Rodriguez. Um, you, most, of, most of the rest of the staff was higher on him than I was, and maybe it was just because I, I, I basically looked at him, um, and I only saw him a couple times this year, but he really just didn't look like anything had, had, had changed much to me. Um, and we've been kind of waiting for, you know, something to, to kind of pop there, either the fastball um, for the breaking ball to improve. Um, he kind of is still that guy who's like, you know, slightly below average in almost every regard, <laughs> which is an interesting kind of kind of a profile um, because you could look at it, you know, in multiple ways. There, there are a lot of things that need to improve, but there isn't really anything that needs to radically improve um, for him to at least, you know, work his way into some kind of a reliever role, um, down, down the road, but we've been kind of waiting on his physical projection to pay some, some dues because they traded or they acquired him when he was still just 19, I believe. And here we are and he's almost 22 and there just hasn't really been much of an uptick in the fastball. Um, the curveball is still inconsistent and, you know, once in a while he'll kind of flash a, a solid changeup, but I still haven't really seen that as, as much of a weapon, although he does use it, um, a, a decent amount. So, yeah, I mean, that's one guy I think in retrospect. And what happens to me often is that I make out the list, and then as I'm writing reports, um, you know, feelings start to shift the more and more I look at guys. And then you start to wonder, like, all right, I need to just stay, take a step back because I'm overthinking this, and I just need to look at the guy again, um, you know, out of context of, of everything else that we're talking about and uh, and just kind of dial in on him. But, yeah. Elvin's, Elvin's one who I, I was kind of waiting for a move this year and just didn't really see anything happen. Um, I think... I think uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I'm, I was going to wrap up with, with Elvin there, so if you got something on him, go for it. Oh, I don't really have anything on Elvin, okay. um, oh, go ahead. Except, that, <laughs> except that I've been waiting on that velocity, too, and I really thought... I, I saw him quite a few times uh, last year, and I really thought that the velocity would come, but he just hasn't added anything on his frame. Um. And if he could muscle up a little more or uh, cut loose a little more or something and get that fastball velocity, I'd feel a lot better about him. But, you know, you really can't at this point. Yeah. Uh, kind of without for it. seeing something. Yeah. Yeah. If he, if he was even like flashing 95, 96, I, I'd feel a little bit more like, okay, there's a fallback relief profile here, but he's a little bit of an all or nothing um, type of guy right now where either a couple couple small adjustments are, are all going to click things into place and he suddenly looks much more like what we were hoping for or just nothing comes and he ends up plummeting down into org depth. Right, right. And I don't think really there's a path to a relief role for him. 
I think it's kind of like fourth starter or nothing. Yeah. Which is fine, I guess, to have those kinds of people in your system. You just you you'd prefer to have a guy who has multiple paths to the majors. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to have that one carrying tool. And and that's just that area where yeah he's he's sort of an odd prospect to have in the teens. Um, uh, I, I think we had him just outside actually this year. But yeah, yeah, it's it's just going to take a little bit of something happening there to uh, to get real excited about. You know, they had Brian Garcia down at twenty six two, which again, like I I still think is interesting in relationship to Alex Lang and. You know, Zach mm-hmm. Hess, I saw a little bit more, you know, pop out of, you know, I, I get why why Zach Hess um, is a little bit of a sexier name for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Brian Garcia, maybe it's just that, you know, he didn't quite have his stuff back all the way last year, I don't think. Um, but for his first year back from Tommy John surgery, I'm still looking at like eh, above average, you know, fastball, slightly above average slider slightly above average change as, as a possibility um, for a reliever, like doesn't have that one pitch um, that's, that's a, a real weapon, but you know, has typically commanded three average or slightly better pitches. Um, so when we've seen him in the minor leagues prior to the Tommy John surgery, so, and he'll get his shot this year. So, um, you know, he, he's kind of, kind of ripe um, or as ripe as he's going to get this year. Right. And you, you mentioned Zach Hess again, and that made me think, um, you and Rob have both said, you know, Zach Hess, you know, Jay, you're higher on Zach Hess, or uh, Hugh Smith is the other guy. Rob was asking me about him quite a bit when we were doing the, his write-up, saying that he was, quote, my guy. And I don't really think that's the case. I wouldn't place either of them very highly on the list. I think people are just unduly ignoring them. So I, I wouldn't say that I'm high on them necessarily, but I also don't think it's unfair to have them in the 25 to 30 range. Yeah, it's not a super sexy ranking, but they have tools that people should be interested in. Yeah, and I don't think you were necessarily high on them either. I mean, yeah, I didn't mean to imply such a thing. It's just that they they have something. You know, there there's something there um, to be interested in as opposed to you know your kind of run of the mill prospect like Hugh Smith. Obviously, is sort of a sort of a freak with um, you know a ton of projectability if he can put you know put put his size and. And frame to good use, and yeah, Hess has good riding fastball, good curveball. Um, I, I can see it. Oh, can we mention Will Vest just as like a five-second yeah, footnote, footnote, real oh, sure. quick? Will it. Vest placed thirty-fifth on this list for Fangraphs, and nobody was on him before this. But I think I kind of should have seen it coming um, because uh, not that long ago, an American League scout not that subtly asked me if I knew anything about Will Vest. I was like, sorry, bro, I don't. Um, if I'd known you're going to need something, I could have taken notes. But up until then, nobody really cared about him. And I didn't especially care about him either. But now we've got him here at 35th, which is above your guys like Hugh Smith, Jose Azokar, Derek Hill, Jacob Robson, uh, Gio Herrera, who was a fourth-round pick not that long ago, on this list. Even Paul Rashan who performed really well, um, and Carlos Guzman, who everyone loved a year ago. And above all of those guys is Will Vest on this list, citing a deceptive overhand delivery, uh, touching 97. Yeah. Yep. It's a strict relief profile, and, I w- and he's six foot tall. I'm just really surprised to see him there, that's all. And I think it's 
worth pointing out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, James Chipman, actually, over at Tigers Minor League Report, was a little bit on him this, this summer and kind of, you know, he was talking about him and Jared Toby, I believe, and um, and obviously Max Green, who everybody was sort of, like, wowed by. I believe Emily Walden was the first person um, who I chatted about who was like, oh, Max Green, you, you just gotta, you can't see this to believe it. And it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna gonna take some work, but uh, boy, that fastball is something. But yeah, Will Vest is another one who yeah I, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to. All everybody is familiar to me because I cover the entire system on a daily basis. But in terms of who I actually am watching, um, he was not someone who I recall seeing or taking much note of at all. So, yep, definitely a guy I was not paying much attention to. Um, another, I mean, you mentioned Paul Rashan. That's that's another guy who I thought we were too high on. Um, I just. I just don't see a major league pitch there. Like he's he's got incredible pitchability. Like he moves the ball around. He uses everything. Um, he knows how to set guys up a little bit. I just don't think he has a single pitch that is really going to play at the major league level. But um, but it is it is possible he could find a little bit more. Um, you just you know you just never know. He's still relatively young. Um, if they can. You know, at least improve his breaking ball um, one way or the other. Either one of them that that would help him. Um, the, you know, the changeup I thought was okay. It just, um, there's just not that much separation because the fastball isn't overpowering. And sometimes those, those two factors, um, kind of, kind of work in concert to diminish the other. So, um, but we'll see. I mean, he definitely, um, had, uh, you probably have to give him one of the highest, uh, command grades in the entire system. I think we'll give him that much, well, which is always a problem for just about every, everybody else <laughs> pitching wise. So he does have that going for him. Well, baseball America took that leap. They said he was the highest. Did they? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Anyway, let me ask you a question. All right. We, we talked talk about, about a lot of guys. guys. Out of them, who needs to have the best 2020? Who needs it the most? Um, as far as needs, I'm going to say it's hard to even say Kyle Funkhauser at this point because we already know he's going to be a reliever, and I, I, don't, know that, <laughs> I don't know that I have enough faith yet to, to, to really put a need on it. But obviously, Kyle Funkhauser needs to, um, to to kind of make his bones here a little bit. Um, he's about to turn 26. Um, you know, the, the, the chance for him to be a starter is close to an end, if not already there. Um, and then, you know, at a certain point, he's kind of going to get just, you know, subsumed by this this horde of pitching prospects we all have coming. Um, so I think it's this is a big year for him. If he's going to take a step and, and become a useful major league reliever, that needs to happen uh, this year, to some degree, we at least need to see the, the, the good makings of it, see him stay healthy. Um, but I guess the guy who I feel like there's pressure on more is Bo Burrows because Bo is still younger. Um, you know, there's still a starter role there for him if he can take it. But he's probably got a couple of months tops to make some kind of an impact because, you know, at a certain point, they're not going to be able to keep Tarek Skubal, uh, you know, at at Erie, they're not going to be able to keep Casey Mize down there very long at all. Um, mm-hmm. If Casey Mize does start at Erie, he, he's probably capable of jumping right to the majors um, as long as he's healthy. So, yeah, Bo Burrows is one um, who I look at that way too. Like it, it's sort of time for him to to decide um, based on his performance uh, what he's going to be, and um, and that's going to happen this year one way or the other. And I'm hoping he can kind of hang in there a little bit, but a voice in the back of my head tells me it would probably be best for him to just get into it right now um, and start, you know, start learning how to be a reliever, start learning how to prepare that way, how to pitch on shorter rest and shorter spurts. Um, 
it might be better for him than kind of waiting around for him to break down before the Tigers decide to do something. Uh, I've been very worried about Anthony Castro on that front the past year or two, thinking that, you know, if he's going to be a reliever, he might be able to get there relatively quickly if you would just do that um, with him. Um, this is a guy who's, what, like five years on from Tommy John surgery, and you don't necessarily have forever. Um, that That's not the case with Bo Burrows. The injury issues weren't quite so serious this year. So, yeah, Bo, um, as far as pitchers go, is the one who I am most um, feeling like is under pressure and needs to have a good season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I've got two names for you. Wenzel Perez, Franklin Perez. Yeah, we have Franklin Perez, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, Parker. Parker's my number three. But those two, for me, are the, the, the biggest ones on the um, pitching and offensive side. One, I mean, one each. Uh, because Franklin Perez, um, I mean, he, he can't be a prospect if he can't pitch. That's just how it is. The stuff is in, uh, evidently really good. He was pitching in double A at 19, which is really, really impressive. But then all of a sudden just broke after we acquired him. Yeah. And even before, and, like, had never thrown very many innings. I think, like, he topped out at, like, 70, 80 innings with the Astros that year. I mean, Rob, Rob said it on quite a few occasions. It's not, not nearly as alarming that he's hurt for as often and as long as he has been, as that everybody kind of just shrugs. Uh, the Tigers can't figure out what's wrong with him, and nobody else can either. You know, from what I've heard, you know, when he's come back and pitched in these little stints at Lakeland, um, and I don't think he's ever made it more than, than three innings um, since 2018, and even then it was only like one or two starts that you'd consider a full start. You know, people still say the stuff is, is, is still there. It's it's still good. It's still above average fastball, above average curve, um, you know, solid changeup, makings of a slider that, that could be good, and pretty damn good command of the whole the whole package. Um I get you know, I guess one way to think about think about it now that we have Tarek Skubel and Joey Wentz um right up in there in the mix is that Franklin Perez is sort of a nice wild card now. Like if Franklin Perez could come back and and be healthy um, you know, this will be one of the best crops of pitching talent. That that would be a heck of a crop of pitching talent. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really impressive. Yeah, and we haven't really talked about Tarek Skubal and Joey Wentz just because, you know, everyone seemed to just accept it. I thought we were going to have to, like, you know, kind of break people's doors down a little bit with Joey Wentz this offseason. But, you know, sometimes when the numbers are good, um, you know, everybody, everybody's just like, yep, he must be awesome now. I just liked what I saw. You know, I'd still like to see the breaking ball take a step forward, but that fastball changeup combination was really good. Mm-hmm. And he's still um, 22, 6'5", 240, 50 pounds. Um, so there's a lot of size there. Know Might be a little more gas coming still. Are you talking about Wentz? Yeah. Yeah, and I know I, I thought so. And you and I were talking, um, you and I were talking earlier in the offseason about him and how his issues are 
non-performance impacting long term. It's been a little bit in the shoulder and a little bit in the oblique. Uh, well, mostly in the oblique. Yep. And th- those aren't expected to impact him the way a Tommy John would. Something like that. Long-term impacts. This stuff, that's, you know, Dr. Georgia Giblin territory, and he'll be back to, uh, back to just like new in no time. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, that, that is another, you know, we mentioned Dan Hubs earlier. Um, they hired Dr. Georgia Giblin um, to be, like, the director of performance medicine, if I'm not mistaken. Um, some title along those lines. Um, these are all new titles cropping up around the league and everybody has their own little variant. But, um, but yeah, I mean, those two things and the hiring of Kenny Graham as um, direct, new director of player development taking over from Dave Owen, those, those could be the three biggest things that happen this offseason. Um, and we won't know it for, for quite some time. Um, unfortunately, almost nothing else that happened this offseason has any real impact on the, on the rebuild. But um, it's, all, it's all been one-year deals. Uh, you never know. They might, might have found something in Roni Garcia. But, yeah, that's something that's just been sticking in my craw in that it's nice that we have C.J. Crone and, you know, they went and got Jonathan Scope and Austin Romine and picked up a whole, you know, whole slew, I guess I'll use that word, of, uh, of you know, six starter candidates. But, um, but not much of that hey, is going to have long-term impact. So those, we those might three be able people to trade might. Jordy Mercer. Yeah, you never know. It. Oh, yeah, we got it. We, you never know. Yep, you're going to flip them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just like houses, you know, you just, you know, you just fix them <laughs> up a little bit and you flip them and people give you candy and magic beans. <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah yeah, yeah I mean, we were talking to, i hope everyone's uh, been disabused of, of that notion uh yeah because those those one-year deals when you're trying to flip a guy for two months like you are never going to get anything you're just never going to get anything of, of real quality unless you know you go deep into the the teenage ranks of of the team you're trading with and uh pluck a gem before anybody sees it that's really the only way right and how much faith do you have in the tigers to do that I'm hoping uh, that some of, some of the some of the new personnel will will change my opinions about that, but the results uh, of those moves will probably take too long for it to even come to pass for like you know two or th- two or three years. If everything's working out great, we'll know a couple years down the road. But um, yeah, for now, all we can go on is is how they've how they've done so far, and it hasn't been great. Um, Isaac Paredes was was a super nice pull. Uh, Wilco Hernandez, um, you know, getting him for Ian Kinsler was it Ian Kinsler? Or... Ah. Can't remember. Those two deals really blend together. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember if they got Wilco. Because the four Kinsler. guys we got was Grayson Long, Elvin Rodriguez, Troy Montgomery, and Wilco Hernandez. Grayson Long retired after he got um, career-ending surgery, and his fastball was sitting 85 in workouts. Troy Montgomery voluntarily retired in such a way that made us think he was probably pushed out. Yeah. The other two are still with us, but I mean, Lord only knows which one came in which deal <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and it might be notable that of all these of all those deals like the, the couple guys who still are holding some interest are the guys who were 18 19 years old when you know when we made those deals um we'll go hernandez elvin rodriguez as you know fringy possible back-end starters um wilco has has more of a relief profile to fall back on and then isaac prades who we all like and is an excellent pure hitter and we'll just have to sort out what position he's, he's going to be at. We were arguing about that on the site. People telling me he'd uh, slot right in at second base and, and do just fine. Um, I don't know, man. I don't, uh, I don't buy that from what I've seen. 
Hey, I'm, we're just going to have to wait and find out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll just have to see. It feels like the Tigers are just going to play him at third base this year. Um, I'd still be down for playing him at shortstop somewhat. I just feel like he needs to be facing uh, first base. Like, I don't want to see him going to second base, um, you know, to take feeds and trying to turn the double play. I just I just don't see enough agility to have a whole lot of confidence that, that yeah, that that's going to go well um, with him moving away from first base. So we shall see. But um, but the kid can hit. And- if, even if we get best case, there's three instance, there's not even a log jam. Because best case for Nico is that he's a shortstop, which he already is. He's already his best case. Best case for Isaac is that it's still a below average shortstop, but a fine third baseman with excellent pure hitting ability. Yeah, I mean, those are good bets. I think Parker Meadows, like, it's not that he has to has to have a big year, but I think for him to still be on the radar is like a guy people are really, really interested in. Um, the hit tool's got to take, take a step forward this year. Um, there's still plenty to like. I mean, obviously, he's still got a lot of tools. Um, he's got pretty good raw power. Um, you know, ge- generally the question is just the length of the swing, the length of the load, um, a little bit of a discipline issue, but not, not necessarily the key, the key problem. And, uh, Keenan was about to start throwing things every time he bunted. Oh yeah. What, I mean, what is with the Tigers and the, the damn bunting all the time? Ah, there's a lot of Daz bunting last year and I know he was struggling and they were probably just trying to get him going, but, ah. I don't know. You, there's just only so much development time a, a guy a guy can get, and uh, all those abs are precious to me. <laughs> so yep. I don't know. I mean, you can you can want to lay one down here and there, fine. But that just seems like the, a thing that you could do in practice um, for all the impact that it tends to end up having in games, um, rather than wasting uh, live plate appearances trying to do that for some future game seven scenario where we need to drop down the sack bunt. <laughs> anyway. Enough of that. We could rant about the bunting all day. Tired yep. of the bunting. Um, yeah, and all right, let's let's talk about Daz for just a second because um, obviously, some sense in these, you know, among the guys who we feel like need to have a good year. Daz is one who is not at the end of his rope. Obviously, he's only twenty three. Um, just had his first year at Toledo. He's going to get a good long look this year, and if he's doing even reasonably well, we'll probably end up making his major league debut. Uh, do you still hold out much hope for Daz Cameron, or are you kind of in the well? I think we're looking at a fourth outfielder type uh, type mode. Sure, sure, I hold out hope for him. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't perform that well in a year where everyone performed well, so it's a little concerning. But like you said, he's he's still only twenty three. He was young for the performance. I mean, the competition level. So if he comes out and hits again next year, really, I see no reason that. It, yeah. yeah, if he's bad again next year, well, that's that's another story. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got to show out substantially better, but I don't think the season was quite as bad as as some people think. Um, you know, he struck out too much. Yes, um, that you know that needs to come back to earth a little bit. But you know, he's still a guy who has decent discipline. He drew almost twelve percent walk rate um, easily. And obviously, we had the the major league ball introduced to um, to AAA last year, and that you know I'm sure helped a few people. But you know he hit 13 home runs and 528 plate appearances. That was the flash of power that we haven't really seen since he was um, you know in single A ball. Um, he's still stealing bases, and you know a BABIP of 291. Um, you know at, in the international league, 
for a guy who does, you know, generally hit a fair amount of line drives and has a pretty balanced profile and will go to right field a decent amount seems low. So uh, I think there's there's plenty of reason to hope for a, a solid bounce back from Daz, even if he doesn't quite recapture the, you know, future starting center fielder um, role that, we, that we've been hoping for him. I think he will at least look much closer to that um, enough to, you know, push guys like Jacoby Jones and Victor Reyes, who don't really have any claim to playing time in center field anyway, um, aside in, in one sense or another. And let's see. Okay. And you know, I wanted real quick, let's just talk a little bit about the, the 2019 class, but because obviously we like Riley green, um, you know, he looked, looked very much like as advertised and we'll just, we'll see how it goes this season. Um, we all expect good things, but of the rest of the draft class, who, who are you looking at and thinking like that guy's going to, going to be at double a before everyone else? Like the, the guy most likely to, uh, be at Erie by midsummer. If there well, is such there's a guy. the obvious answer. Is that Bryant Packard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk there's about Bryant the... Packard. And so I set this up for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's also the slightly more adventurous answer of Zach Hess. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he'll be first there, but I think he will be there soon. Yeah, I think so, too. That makes sense. And there's the bold answer of Andre Lipschitz. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I like that answer, too. Um, I'm definitely a little bit higher on Lipschitz than, um, than some of the rest of you are. Um, you know, th- there's a little bit of a swing issue. Uh, but to me, he looked like the the smartest hitter on the team. Um, even with Riley Green and Bryant Packard there, um, he looked like the guy who had the most idea what he was doing. I wish he had a little bit more defensive versatility. Um, he should be able to play third base. He can probably play second base um, or at least, you know, a reasonable facsimile thereof. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there's enough power there and enough of an eye at the plate and an idea of what he's doing that I'm going to hold out hope that, um, that he can take a step next year and kind of, kind of bump himself up uh, above most of the rest of the pack that we drafted this season. Right. If he can build in just a little bit more uppercut into that swing, I'd like him a lot more uh, because it's too flat for me. And I just want to give a shout out to Trevor Huth for helping me verbalize one of my concerns with him because I was seeing it. I just didn't know how to say it. Oh, yeah. Um, when he goes into protect mode, the swing is all arms. It completely neutralizes his lower half, and then he loses his power. Yeah. I mean, he. I mean, you kind of like to see a little bit of that, um, but, yeah, he takes it to extremes where he just decides to play pepper um, with two strikes and try to just slap something the opposite way. Um, which might please Lloyd McClendon just fine. I don't know, but I, I would prefer <laughs> I'd prefer to see a little bit more of aggressive an aggressive approach, particularly because he's a college player, um, you know, playing in the in the Midwest League. So, yeah, but um, but yeah, just a little bit. Another one that's just a little bit tough because he he can't play a position where you don't have to hit for power. Uh, he's going to have to hit for power. Obviously, Bryant Packard's going to have to hit for power. Um, he's he's got I think. Um, more, I don't know. I mean, I saw people suggesting that he had average, average raw power. I did not find that to be the case. I definitely thought he was above average already. Um, I had a little bit more question about the hit tool maybe than some others did because I'm seeing, you know, future average or above average grades. Um, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, are you real confident, um, in his hitting? He certainly got some discipline. Um, we saw that got a nice swing. We like that. I, 
I don't want to comment very strongly on him uh, because I was never actually able to see him live. After they drafted him, um, they were a little slower in moving him up to West Michigan than the other guys. If memory serves, that could be wrong. But any time I was able to get out to Grand Rapids, he was on the disabled list, and then they promoted him afterwards. Because I moved to Lansing mid-season, oh, yeah. and that kind of screwed up my whole schedule. So I wasn't able to see any of the interesting guys down the stretch. Yeah, okay. Except for, for Kitana and Lipschitz. Yeah, whereas I'm watching most of it on TV, um, and which is a different thing. And you're, you're going to miss things that um, a scout will see um, from a scouting pers- angle and being able to watch the whole game and the whole field. Um, and that's always, that's always kind of an issue, um, which is why I, I like, uh, I like to, uh, pick the brains of everyone else as well. Um, because I'm usually just overwhelmed during the season, like watching Erie for the starter and then bop into Connecticut to see O'Reilly Green at bat and just all over the place on uh, minor league TV. And, uh, it, it's not ideal. Like it, it's better, it's better than just going to a game here and there for me because it keeps me keeps me up to speed with what everybody's doing, and I've gotten reasonably good at at translating um, translating the various camera angles to what I'm looking for. But um, it's still kind of a question. But yeah, Bryant Packard um, certainly seemed to impress most people. I thought he was a little bit stiff personally. Like I like the swing, but he seemed like a guy whose swing was pretty grooved for a specific um, you know set of pitches. But he does have the eye to look for those pitches. And I also have to keep in mind that maybe some of that, um, you know, and what I saw was he just didn't look like he went down to to get balls at the bottom of the zone particularly well. And I think we have to keep in mind that it does seem like he dealt with some back spasm issues, not just in college, um, in his college season, but it seemed like maybe some of that was still kind of plaguing him a little bit um, at West Michigan. And that can certainly impact your ability to um, to make adjustments mid-pitch and uh, and get the bat on, uh, you know, lesser quality pitches or pitches that you swung at that maybe you shouldn't have. But again, certainly a bat we're going to be watching with uh, with a, plenty of interest next year. And yeah, I mean, I would tend to agree that he's probably the one most likely to take a speedy path to double A. Who's your uh, bold pick for quickest double A? You know, actually, I mean, I probably have to go with those two guys too, which is boring, but I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to take Bryant Packard over Lipschitz at this point. Uh, or lips. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think. Oh, have I been mispronouncing it? I can't get anyone to tell me for sure what it is. The announcers keep saying Lipsius, and so I'm I'm trying to just roll with that, even though I want to say Lipsius so bad because it looks like Lipsius, but it, apparently it's not. It's Lipsius. Okay. Lipsius. Yep. Lipsius. <laughs> That's why I have to like repeat this five times fast. Um, so yeah, I I would say those guys. I don't really foresee Parker Meadows blowing everyone's doors off to start the season um, and running his way through Lakeland to Erie. Although it wouldn't surprise me if he got there late in the season, um, if things go reasonably well, but yeah, I'm going to stick with Packard there for sure. If he hits, I see no reason not to push him. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a really, really good hitter in college um, in in a good conference um, showed, you know, an advanced approach last year and, you know, should be facing basically the same level of competition um, this summer that he did in college, and you would expect that he will do just fine there. Um, has never showed any any sign of having any trouble with the wood bat. Has already kind of passed all those tests. Um, so yeah, you would expect that he'll hit there and get to double A. Um, you know who did get who the guy who did make that jump this year was Cody Clemens, and I kind of I don't know I kind of look at those two guys similarly. 
uh, even though they're you know their frame uh, and their game isn't necessarily the same, but they're both guys who there's just a ton of reliance on them hitting for power because if you know the Tigers desperately need left-handed power bats and if either one of those guys uh, can carry it through and and hit with power and post good on base percentages and carry that into the major leagues they're easily going to have a role um, so it'll be interesting to see yeah both of those guys next year real curious to see what what um, Cody Clemens does at Erie I was I was certainly someone who was a little bit down on him last year um, and I thought he actually had a pretty solid season didn't wow anybody, but uh, but held his own in a tough hitting league, and you know his production was pretty good, and he continues to draw super high grit factor grades, and uh, appears to be a guy who's going to get everything he possibly can out of himself at least. Right, he's the only guy who I've ever cited intangibles in uh, for in a scouting report, because they are just definitely there. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, he's he's definitely a dog that way. Uh, I've cited Lipsius, uh nuclear engineering degree because I, given given two players, I will always take the smart cerebral player, almost always, unless he's uh, injury prone and or and or dainty. So, <laughs> yeah, so I like that side of it as well for him. All right, for for our final topic here before we wrap this up, let's just kind of turn to. Um, some of the comments, Al, you know, Al Avila's made this offseason have all centered on the fact that the teardown is basically over. Um, they don't really have much left to to trade in terms of veteran talent. Um, you know, the Matt Boyd situation is still kind of an equilibrium. Um, I don't know if they're going to get what they want for him. Um, there, there's a school of thought that says they should just lock him up and maybe, you know, try to deal some of the some of the prospect arms um, who haven't proven their durability um, and their ability to get major league hitters out. Um, but one way or the other, you know, the, the Tigers are sounding like, like not that they're going to promise us anything, because um, they certainly aren't, but that they are turning their mind toward, like, you know, toward the team build um, portion of this rather than just the farm build. Um, and some of that is overdue. Um, I've certainly been real critical of the fact that, you know, we're, you know, five years into Avila's tenure and they haven't found a single solid position player that you could put out there and expect to, you know, to give you two war or better every year. They have some guys who might do that. Um, I like Nico. I like, you know, putting Nico at shortstop. I still think Kristen Stewart is going to hit. Um, I think that's going to come around. The defense is always going to hold him back. Um, but beyond that, there isn't a whole lot of meat on the bone at the major league level positionally. Um, and you know, the, the Tigers have gone out and signed a crap ton of depth starters. We've got Chang, we've got Godley, we've got Agrizal, um, Ivan Nova is probably, you know, the, 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 I wouldn't say a lock for the fifth starter role, but if he has a solid spring, has probably got that. So we're, we're kind of in this, this point where they're still picking up a whole lot of what you would call, I mean, you could call them 4A players. You could call them, you know, guys who've, who've washed out and they're giving, getting a last chance. They're still adding a ton of guys like that. And at the same time, most of the best prospects in the system are at Erie or above and are all pushing toward the major leagues. And I'm, I just, I'm really starting to question, like, when this is going to happen and when they're going to start, you know, trying to thread this needle. Um what do you think for yourself would, would be like a real sign that the Tigers are actually committed to starting to get better and, and, you know, and to start building towards something at this point, rather than just, you know, signing a few one-off guys and trying to have an okay season. Making a push for a person they like. 
Yeah, just identifying doing something someone. more than just throwing a million dollars at someone. Like, for example, they obviously like Scope and Crone because they were willing to sign them for uh, some of the larger deals that they've put forward so far, and both of them had de- have decent upside. So why not add a lucrative team option? Yeah. Yep, and maybe that you know you like never at know. At the very least, give it the potential. Yeah, and given the fact that neither one of them, you know, is at a position where the Tigers have anybody coming in short order. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like we might regret CJ Crone, you know, not not locking him up for for three or four years. But I think that's the perfect way to 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 put it in the sense that identifying someone that you want and pursuing them and getting them tells us that you know what you're doing and and what your you know what your approach and your plan is going to be rather than this sort of haphazard well we'll just you know we'll just pick through the you know the bargain bin every year and see what happens um approach we've seen the last few years um and i'm sure that uh well i'm gonna say name and please don't throw your headset travis shaw um i know that their handling of that situation made you very upset um, because they obviously wanted him. The report came out that they approached him and he said no. Yep. And then took almost no money to play for the Blue Jays. Yep. Odds, Odds are, are they, they probably, probably offered, offered him the $6 million that they gave to Crone oh. and Scope. Or at the very least, what do they give uh, Romine? $4 million, Something like that? Yeah, it's a little bit less. He, but almost, yeah. he almost certainly could have made a lot more money with the Tigers. And he just flatly said no uh, because we suck as an organization. Yeah. And that's just how it's going to be for the next few years. But there is no way that Milwaukee would rather have gotten nothing for Shaw than something for Shaw. So they could have gone and said, Hey guys, we have some pitching prospects. Do you want something for Travis Shaw? And then we would have had him for the rest of his arbitration years. He couldn't, you know, you can't say no to a trade when (laughs) in that situation. Yeah. When you're going to, you know, when you're going to release the guy anyway, because you don't want to pay him his arb rate and he's coming off a, a down year. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's that's the kind of thing that frustrates me because did they did they not even think about Travis Shaw or did they not think about you know looking at at low payroll teams who had guys coming off bad years who you know they probably weren't going to want to pay in arbitration? Um, did they not you know think that through in advance? Did they not identify Travis Shaw as a guy that they might want who? if they had just traded for him and you could probably give them Paul Rashan or, you know, someone outside the top 30. And that would have been enough to snag him with team control so that we would actually have a guy for a couple of years who is a left-handed power bat who can play, you know, first base and third base. Um, you know, and Travis Shaw has just been kind of like my go-to example because he was someone I really wanted. Obviously the Tigers don't have to do what I want and Travis Shaw could fall on his face this year and struggle. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of thing where, you just don't get the sense that they really have any kind of plan or, you know, or as Mark Garage says over and over and over again, uh, you know, a profile of the type of player they're trying to acquire and then pursuing those guys. They just seem to be, uh, you know, whatever kind of comes our way. Um, and that's just not going to get it done. Um, you can't be reactionary like that and expect to be a good team. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and a lot of what what they talk about is just this sort of mealy mouth, like, well, you never know, you know, we don't really want to take these kind of risks on, you know, like trading a prospect for a player, um, you know, we don't really want to sign anyone long term right now because we've got to see what's coming through the farm, um, you know, Alavila gave that quote to 
Evan Woodbury and probably maybe it was all the beat writers about, you know, wondering whether or not, you know, if we sign an outfielder, is it going to block someone, which just made everyone laugh. Um, because what are you talking about? Like, you know, other than Daz, like who, who could you possibly be concerned with? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, all those kind of things, you know, really, really sort of ding their credibility with most of us. And I have, and to, to take another angle on it, I have also, I've never seen a team just simply build out of their farm system and, and really make it work. Like it happens here or there. Some of the small teams make it happen. Like the Rays kind of make that happen and then supplement it with, with smart little signings. Um, but I don't think anyone really believes in the Tigers player development system, you know, just, just sort of like putting this whole team on the field. And so I am wondering, like, the Tigers should know their players better than anyone. So isn't it a reasonable expectation that if someone is going to have trouble down the road or isn't looking quite as as good as maybe their, their prospect ranking or um, or numbers would show, aren't those the, the kind of guys that they should be trying to turn into players right now? And it just doesn't seem like there's any interest um, from the front office in doing that. And it just scares me um, from the standpoint that it just doesn't seem like they trust themselves um, to evaluate their own guys that much. Uh, it's just a very old school approach where like we're gonna let these guys all play their way through the minor leagues, and then we're they're gonna get a couple years in the majors before we finally like make a decision on them one way or the other. And there's just no way to do that because the window is to start getting something done kind of opens up next year. Um, you would have to expect that by next year, a couple of our you know top pitching prospects are, are at least going to be working in Detroit part time. Um, so yeah, we, how long are we going to wait beyond that? Are we going to wait till Matt Boyd, Daniel Norris and Michael Fulmer are all gone before we even start to do anything? Uh, you know, the timetable just feels like it, like it's starting to crunch to me a little bit. And if they don't start doing something, then, then we're looking at like a whole nother cycle where we have to wait until Matt Manning and Casey Mize and all these guys are ready to carry the team before we even start building anything. And that's probably not reasonable to expect any time in the near future. It usually takes young pitchers, you know, a few years to work it out. Um, even really good ones. Right. All of that makes sense. Another thing that they could do that would make me believe what they're saying is to make a decision on Matt Boyd. Um, and it really, this is kind of the tipping point. This season is kind of the tipping point for me into frustration with how they're handling him because they botched the Nick Castellanos thing so badly. Does they have to be having those conversations with Boyd that they weren't having with Castellanos? Does he want to stay? What's his asking price? How long does he want to stay? If he doesn't want to stay, then you have to start looking at more realistic trade packages for him because he needs to turn into value on the next competitive Tigers team. He could turn into value on the next competitive Tigers team by still being there. Yep. Or he could turn into value in the next competitive Tigers team by being swapped for someone who plays for that next competitive team, but they can't let him walk for nothing. Yeah. They can't let that happen again. They have so few young, talented players that they simply cannot allow that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Matt Boyd has three years of, of team control left. Um, he, you know, he's into arbitration now. So that that's when you typically start making these decisions and decide, yeah, we're going to extend this guy or, or we're not. 
And because they haven't extended him this offseason, I'm assuming that they still feel dead set that they're going to trade him, you know, at the deadline. And it's possible that Matt Boyd could control the homers next year. Um, you know, he's been working on the curveball and feels like if he mixes that um, in a little bit more, it'll take a little pressure off the fastball and the slider. And, you know, I could certainly see Matt Boyd coming out, having a really good first half and being worth a decent amount. But if they don't trade him this year, then you get into that territory where there's only like a year or a year and a half left um, for a non-star player. And there's no chance in hell that you're going to, you know, you're going to pull I mean, it's probably hard to pull a Brandon Marsh or, you know, anybody, um, you know, 50 future value or better as it is without him putting up a good first half. But it doesn't get any easier when, you know, the the level of team control starts to go down um, in a package that you're offering and the, you know, the amount that the player is being paid through arbitration is going up. Um, that, that only ends up hurting the value and they're trying to wait it out. But yeah. Um, in the light of what happened with Nick Castellanos, like I just, I just don't have much faith that they know what they're doing, that they're, you know, that their sense of the market is accurate, um, that they feel confident in themselves, you know, going and taking a look at a couple of guys who are a little bit younger um, and maybe haven't popped yet, and finding like a secondary piece they really like, and maybe they don't get Brandon Marsh, maybe they get, you know, Jordan Adams and Jamai Jones and you know, some rookie baller that they like, um, that, you know, that may be what it comes down to. We don't see too many teams trading good position prospects, um, anymore, Um, almost, you know, none at all, unless you're really getting like value for value. So yeah, in the light of all that, I, I, I just have a lot of questions and I think you, you put it the most succinctly by framing it as wanting to see the Tigers look like they know what they're doing. Like there's a plan, like they have confidence in their decision-making, like they're identifying players and pursuing them aggressively, even if they feel like they have to overpay, um, all, all those sorts of things. Like you, you need to see that start happening uh, real, real quick here, or any hope of the Tigers starting on the path to being good again in 2021, to me, gets pushed back to more like 2023, um, and that's just to, okay, we're going to start building up toward a 500 team again, um, and we could be looking at you know four or five years before we get to that point. Um, where, you know, yeah, maybe they're close to contention and at that, you know, state where making a few trades can make, can make the whole thing come together. In fairness to them, they have done that, um, identifying players that they want and pursuing them in the draft. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Um, like, uh, the last few years, the last couple of years, they've completely changed the kind of player that they're going for, which is what leads me to that conclusion and not just, oh, they don't know how to uh, evaluate talent. And so that's why they're so much different than everyone else. But they're picking guys above their national ranking because they like them, which might be frustrating to some people. But to me, that's a good sign almost because it means they decided Nick Quintana's the guy that we want. So we're going to make sure that we get him. Yeah. And Andre Lipschitz is the guy that we want. And we're going to make sure that we get him. And what makes me think that they're doing that is a, they changed their general strategy to what produced these guys. And B, they were completely willing to snag guys who are falling from their projected ranking later in the draft. That's your, your Cooper Johnson, your Zach Hess, your Bryant Packard. These guys who they might not have thought they had a shot at, 
they were willing to say, okay, we'll, we'll grab them up in these later rounds uh, because they're falling. So I'm thinking probably, in fairness to them, they do have a plan when it comes to the draft, and they're being aggressive in pursuing the players they want. Yeah, I can see that, in the, in the draft in particular. Um, and I would agree that if you saw a team that, that basically followed like the mock drafts like you know all the way down, that would be disturbing. Um, that, that would be a little bit, I think, disturbing to think that they aren't seeing things and making decisions from their, their own perspective. Um, the question is just whether or not they're right. Um, I think we can throw, you know, we can, we can also throw, and I think you're right that the, the process seems to have changed, um, since the 2017 draft, but Sam McMillan and Ray Rivera were both players like that, that, you know, really surprised people, um, where they picked them. And yeah, you know, Ray Rivera is not working out that that looks like a mistake. But on the other hand, Sam McMillan, um, you know, is is starting to look like maybe the most interesting catching prospect in the system. So, um, you know, you, you can look at it either way, but you definitely have to have that that confidence in your own evaluations. Um, and I can I can buy that we are seeing um, a good deal of that. The question is just whether or not they're right now. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Um, but at the major league level and, you know, and in terms of like signing free agents in terms of, um, you know, trading for players that that's where I just, I don't see it. And it, it just makes me very uncomfortable. And I also want to go back and find this quote. I'd been looking for it all summer and Mr. Chris Brown tracked it down somewhere, but basically it was Alavila this summer around the draft time. Um, talking a lot about how much more difficult it is to evaluate um, hitters than pitchers and why the Tigers, you know, have tended to lean um, toward pitching quite a bit. And, you know, and his argument makes sense in that, you know, the hitter has to react. There's a lot more to watch there that is specific to each at bat, whereas you can evaluate a pitcher you can get the spin rate on all of his, you know, all of his pitches. You can, you've got his velocity. You can see his delivery and how well he repeats it. You can see all that stuff without anything else kind of getting in the way. Like, okay, we have to to evaluate hitters. You have to know what's being thrown at them. You have, and you, you know, and just frankly, you have to be good at it. And it doesn't seem like the Tigers have been good at identifying hitters. And maybe that quote is sort of it was in the Athletic, and it, maybe that quote was the beginning of them you know, recognizing that something had to change in the way that they were evaluating hitters. Uh, and maybe that's the impetus behind Kenny Graham being, um, being hired to take over as director of player development because he was the, you know, my, I think the minor league hitting coordinator um, for the Milwaukee Brewers the past couple of years. Um, and that seems like, you know, you know, seems like a solid hire in that regard, but it was fairly shocking to me to, to see those quotes and, and to have him actually kind of come out and say like, man, you know, evaluating hitters in the draft is really hard. <laughs> like, like we, you know, we feel a lot more comfortable evaluating uh, pitchers. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, you're, you're not allowed to, not allowed to be that way. Even if that's, you know, even if you have a preference or you, you know, you're better at one thing or the other, you've got to be good at both. And if you're not, you should have done something about it by now. You're not, that's that. You and your crew don't deserve to be in charge if you can't do your job. Yeah. I go back and forth about this with a lot of different people. 
And obviously there are a lot of people who are completely, completely done with Alavila and want nothing to do with him, want everyone fired. Um, I am certainly of the, of the, the thinking that I would prefer to try someone else. Um, but really what frustrates me is just that, you know, for a couple seasons in a row, they didn't make any of those moves. You know, they, they knew they had to have known. And if they didn't, they're even, you know, a little more clueless than I thought they were when they started. They had to know that they didn't have the staff on hand who could help them moder- you know, modernize, help them with the data gathering, you know, help them with, with building a database that works, you know, works fluently between the minor leagues and the major leagues and is, has all their, all their scouting information, all the data that they gather, all integrated, all that stuff. You know, if they had hired someone who already knew how to do that, they could have been done in a year, um, but they didn't. They're an insular group. Um, they're like a little old boys network um, between the, the, the two Davids and, uh, and Alavila. And that seemed to be the way they want it. And as a result, they really didn't make any progress in my mind for like three years almost. Um, how, how did Rob put it the other day? There, or maybe it was Cody who said it. Uh, they're two years behind us, which means they're five years behind everyone else. Yeah. And I mean, that I'm sure that sounds smug to people, but I mean, I can go article through article back, you know, five, six years um, at Bless You Boys and probably a bunch of other places where we were talking about the shift before the Tigers got, you know, even even begin to experiment with it. Um, you know, we, we talked about receiving and framing from the minute, you know, that that kind of became a, a popular topic. And here we are five, six years later, and they finally got a, a great receiving catcher. And we might be two years from it not mattering it anymore. Um, you know, the game moves fast. And there's probably been as many changes just in the past decade as there were for 50 years prior in terms of, you know, all the different ways to analyze data and everything that teams have learned about evaluating players. And you have to be on that stuff immediately. You can't like, well, you know, that'll be my off-season homework um, to figure out how a pitch lab is, is set up the way like a place like Driveline or the Ranch or somewhere would do. Um, you know, all that stuff needed to happen almost immediately. And right. They seem to be they catching have, up, but they shouldn't be behind. behind us. There's no excuse. <clears throat> yeah. They're the professionals. I don't want to be smarter than a team, <laughs> any team, any of the 30 of them. I don't want to be smarter than any of them because it's their job. It's not my job. Yeah. They're, they're very well paid to, um, to figure these things out. Um, and obviously like doing and, 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 you know, implementing all this stuff is way different than us just writing about it. But again and again, right. like we, you know, if, if they, you know, if they read the people that we read and paid attention um, to the writers that we pay attention to, a lot of this stuff was was clearly coming down the pipeline and was clearly going to make a huge impact. And they were just, you know, totally asleep at the wheel the first couple of years. Um, and I know they were trying to win um, for, you know, for Mike Illich and th- their focus was still a little bit, you know, probably too much on, on the major leagues. But it's not like they had that much to do. Um, and you look at like what they've, what they acquired in that time. And, you know, there, there just hasn't been that much to come along. Um, you know, Matt Manning, great pick Casey Mize, no brainer, you know, like, you know, in the first round they've done just fine, but it was really just this year where we started. Well, until yeah, I'll give them last year too. Um, obviously you've got Tarek Skubal coming out of that where you've started <laughs> to see them find some players. Um, and, and and kind of beat other people to the punch and recognize things that other other teams didn't. And, you know, maybe they can catch up, but how did I... I yeah, I mean, I, I just worry about waiting for dinosaurs to evolve rather than hiring mammals to begin with. And uh, we'll just see, you know, maybe they'll prove us all wrong. 
But um, but yeah, I don't have a lot of confidence still in this group, despite the improvements. That is that is an excellent way to put it. I am happy, you know, I am happy about Kenny Graham. Um, I'm happy about Mr. Hubs, um, and we'll see. You know, maybe maybe next year all kinds of stuff will will start breaking out, and we'll start looking like you know the Dodgers, where literally every dang prospect that they sign seems to get like radically better like the first year. <laughs> you can just see that over and over there. Like even if it's that, you know, we're not even talking like Gavin Lux or someone. Um, even you know their lower tier players all seem to improve. Um, you know, as as soon as they enter that system. And sometimes we don't see that in Detroit. So hopefully um, these new hires are, are a part of building a much better player development system uh, because we certainly need it. Um, I, I don't want to pick first every year, <laughs> forever. <laughs> We're going to do it again it, this it's year. It's but... fun for me to write about it, but it's really not a great organizational strategy. Yep. I mean, it's good for like, you know, it makes sense to, in a certain in a certain way, if you were going really hard for it and decided you had to stop going for it, yeah, maybe it is better to just tear it down for a year or two, save yourself some money from the owner's perspective. Fine, fine. Um, you know, draft high a couple times, but yeah, it's not a strategy to just keep doing that year after year um, for you know five or six seasons. And I mean, that's basically where we're we're at. You know, the Tigers have have picked in the top ten. I think three of the last five drafts, um, you know, they've had a cop pick or two. They're going to have another one this year, which is nice. Um, and they're picking one, one. So everyone can, you know, put on their Spencer Torkelson hat or their Austin Martin hat or their Emerson Hancock hat and beat each other to a bloody pulp. And, um, and then not get any of them picked first. Right. And then it'll be someone completely else who, you know, has a huge spring and becomes the obvious one, one choice. So there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a long way to go. Very long way to go. Uh, you know, I, I kept seeing all those comments about like, hey, I mean, the farm is good. Like, the farm's really good. And uh, and then you also see the people who are like radically pessimistic, like nothing this group could do, you know, could be any good. But I think we would both look at it and say like, no, the farm is good. It's just that some of the farms that are better, you know, I mean, you look at the Tampa Bay Rays as the perfect example right now. That farm is still stacked and they made the playoffs last year. You don't have to be terrible if you're if you're smart. And man, I would have liked to have hired Heim Bloom <laughs> as GM. You're not kidding. Yeah, although he's having a great time over in Boston, getting ready to trade Mookie Betts. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, Lord. welcome to the big time, big we, fella. <laughs> we've got uh, one of our friends who writes for Over the Monster, named Jake Costic, is just tearing his hair out over that situation in the internal SBN Slack. Yeah, because it's just a nightmare for those Red Sox fans. Yep, and to Tiger fans, got... <laughs> we're all laughing. But yeah, it's su- <laughs> it kind of sucks over there right now. It does. I've, I've been surprised just how much angst there is coming out of that fan base, uh, and not just Jake. Well, uh, yeah, he's just the one that you know I'm most familiar with. But um, that that's got to really sting to get probably the best available GM candidate out there, and then. The, first major thing that happens is oh by the way we're going to trade the star player because the owner doesn't want to pay for him anymore right and the fans are going to be unhappy and i see the boston media all you know working up the character assassination on mookie Betts because he won't give him a huge discount to stay there because he doesn't love us everybody needs to be loved <laughs> talk to your owner talk to your owner about love john henry's got plenty of money <laughs> he can afford a 400 million dollar deal for mookie Betts, and that's probably what he deserves at his age so yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's trouble everywhere in baseball land sometimes. 
in the AL Central, though, it's it's going to be pretty interesting to see if the Tigers can avoid being in last place again and watching the White Sox and the Twins suddenly now looking like the two, you know, kind of growing powers in the division. Um, and at some point, yeah, that's going to be the task to take those guys down. So, yeah, I don't know. Not, I don't love it. That's an entirely different topic, and I won't even bother you into it, but the White Sox have been really interesting this offseason. Yeah, yeah, I've been fairly impressed. Like, I still don't love their organization. Like, I, I've just always been skeptical of them, but they finally spent the money, um, I think, on the right players, and they have enough high-end talent where they didn't have to go out and, like, get a star of any kind. Like, they just needed, like, strong auxiliary pieces, and they've got them, so... Yeah, they should be an interesting team to watch. But yeah, we can't go into that. Uh, we probably shouldn't go into the draft. Um, D1 baseball starts February 14th, so Jay will be in heaven um, as, as the actual draft season starts, <laughs> starts to kick off. Um, but You know me too well. Yeah, I do. But he will not necessarily be doing that draft coverage for Bless You Boys, although we'll just see how it goes. But uh, yeah, you've got a bit of an announcement to make, and uh, we, we, should, uh, we should put that out there before we roll out of here. Yes, sir. So... Uh, this may very well mark the end of my time with Bless You Boys. Um, I've accepted a position as the site expert at uh, Motor City Bengals. I'll be working with Roger Castillo in, in that role. Um, um, Which would be awesome. Uh, <clears throat> and I have absolutely loved all of my time at Bless You Boys. Um, the, the readers are incredible. The staff is incredible. Everything about my experience here has been incredible. And I'm just extremely grateful for the opportunity that the management here provided me. Uh, deciding to move to Motor City Bengals was a fairly difficult and emotional decision for me. Um, but in the end, I decided that was what was best for my situation right now. Uh, my agreement with them does have the potential to... to come back to bless you boys uh if things don't work out uh mid-season so i may end up doing draft coverage back here in the end <laughs> yeah. um but uh for now starting uh saturday and uh into the foreseeable future i will be um pitching in over there at the fan-sided tiger site motor city bengals yep yep and um yeah, I mean, you'll be working with Roger Castillo, who, if people aren't 100% familiar, um, he's the, the the operator, sort of the brains behind uh, the Tigers Minor League Report. He and Chris Brown do the Tigers SRD podcast, where I think both of us have, have been on plenty of times, and they've been on here. So that's a really good group of people. Um, I love that yep. you're going to be working with people I like that much. Those guys are my friends. Kurt Menching is a friend. Um, everyone on our site will know, you know, Kurt Menching, obviously longtime managing editor, um, is is working for Fansided, kind of behind the scenes, running a lot of the MLB stuff for them now. Um, and that's a fairly recent change, too. So, yep, um, I'd like you guys all to follow Jay over to Motor City Bengals a little bit and check out uh, check out what's going to go on over there. But uh, I've loved having you. Um, it, you know, it's a great, it's always great talking to you, but I don't feel too bad because, I mean, by and large, our relationship isn't going to change that much. <laughs> we'll still be talking <laughs> prospects, but it'll probably be, you know, maybe it'll be on Twitter DMs um, and, you know, we'll still have you on the podcast. Um, and, you know, we've seen people come and go back and forth. Um, there's kind of a good community of analysts and writers and podcasters all around um, better than the Tigers themselves deserve. And um, and we're all pretty well uh, acquainted with each other and friendly. 
And you just never know. Like, you never know. Maybe I'll go over there. Maybe you'll come back someday, you know. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a fluid situation, but I think you will learn a lot working with Kurt um, and Roger over there in particular. And that's a cool opportunity. So I'm happy. I'm happy you took it. Um, I know. Uh, yeah, I know it had to be kind of an emotional decision because you've been here quite a while. I mean, you started with us when you were what, like 16 or 15? I, I was 15. I, uh, yeah, I was um, asked on staff uh, May of 16. So I was 15. That was two months before my 16th birthday. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yep. Yep, and time has flown, but um, but yeah, um, I'm wishing you all the all the best over there. We'll be paying attention and seeing what you're up to, and um, I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast um, for some draft pre-draft coverage and some other things if you're available. And um, oh, yeah. absolutely, I'll always make time to come onto this podcast. I, I I really enjoy the Bless You Boys podcast. You and Ashley are a fantastic team, and I have always had a very good experience being on here with you. Ah, uh, thank you much. Thank you very much. All right, buddy, love you. We'll. Uh, We'll wrap it up for tonight. Check out Jay's stuff at Jay Markle on uh, Twitter. You can follow me at Fiscadoro74 on Twitter. And we'll be back at you probably with Ashley next week. Or possibly I will try to, to drag Rob Rojacki onto the podcast and do a little bit of a preseason preview as we finally, finally approach the beginning of at least pitchers and catchers reporting, after which I'll be sad again and like, come on, baseball. But that's a nice milestone, and we're, we're starting to approach it. So the preseason coverage is going to ramp up. So, yes, please uh, head over to Motor City Bengals. Check out what Jay's going to have going on over there. Um, check out all the, the prospect coverage we've got coming at Bless You Boys. We are in the home stretch with the prospect list. Um, you will see the the last uh, 12 or 13 or so all hit in the next week or two. And so we'll have all that for you. And by the time we're done with all that, it'll be almost baseball time. Thank goodness. <laughs> Jay, thanks a lot for being on the show. Um, and we'll check you later. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. Of course, you too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.